Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this unexpected, what I'm calling bonus episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Um, I'm just hopping on before the episode gets underway to explain it a little bit. Um, I'm calling it a bonus episode because it's actually a previously unreleased episode that I recorded about a month and a half ago. Um, I recorded it at the end of September. And this is actually a solo episode that I recorded in response to the first three episodes of the new season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So as you will hear me explain in the episode proper, uh, people were really uh, feeling very excited about the season and people were really excited about, in particular, new cast member Monica. And I just found myself having... Thoughts, feelings, first impressions that went against the majority narrative when it came to Monica. And I wanted to get some of my thoughts out. So I recorded them in this episode. Um, I didn't end up releasing this episode, uh, quite frankly, because I just didn't have uh, the time to edit it right away. And it was one of those things where I kept meaning to come back around to it. And then as the weeks went by, I realized a lot of time had passed um, since the airing of that most recent episode. And I just figured, you know what, this is probably moot at this point, and no one's going to really care to hear this. Now, having said that, I have decided to dust this episode off because, as I'm sure many of you who are listening to this are, are aware, there's been a whole swirl of rumors uh, emerging about Monica and forthcoming drama on the show and who this woman really is. And I'll give a little explanation uh, as to these rumors in a moment for those people who don't care about being at all spoiled about possible future storylines on the show. But the gist of this re-release is really just that I thought it would kind of be an interesting time to put this episode out there because it's kind of basically a pres- Reserved time capsule of, like I said, my initial hits when I came to Monica, because I, I definitely had reservations. And this episode is really kind of like a beat by beat breakdown of my reservations, where they're coming from and why I have the reservations. And I just thought it would be given where we are in terms of the information that's coming out now, I just thought it would be a really sort of interesting window to look back at to look back at what was coming up for me intuitively from the get-go long before we had heard about any of this. Like I said, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are people who do tend to keep up with Breaking Housewives news, and you probably know the rumors, uh, the rumors and the nastiness that I'm alluding to. However, I'm also aware that not everyone does keep up with all the breaking news, and um, perhaps some of you don't want to be spoiled. So I will just say this, if you you are someone who 100% does not want to be potentially spoiled in any way. Um, I will just say, feel free right now to skip ahead a minute or two. And just know that, like I said, this episode is going to be a little time capsule of just what my first thoughts and impressions of Monica were at the beginning of the season. Having said that, if you are someone who mostly doesn't want to be spoiled and just wants a tiny bit of context, I'm going to give a very general one-sentence summation of kind of what's out there in the zeitgeist without going into any details. And then you can fast forward a minute or two. And 
if you're someone who who you know is totally open to hearing about what's being said, um, I'll say a few sentences about that after my one sentence summation. So. Having said all that, my one-sentence summation, like I said, is just that there are emerging rumors about Monica and, uh, like I said, the truth of who she is, her relationship to honesty, the truth of her relationship to various castmates. There's just a lot of murmurings, rumblings, and questions that are speculating not everything is as it seems. So that's my one sentence summation. And just to get a little bit more specific into it, you know, for those who have not heard, yeah, there's just rumors coming out about Monica perhaps having swindled Heather Gay's beauty lab a few years ago and sort of going to extreme measures to swindle beauty lab. Apparently, there are rumors that the cast at this point firmly believes that Monica actually stole Lisa Barlow's ring from that airport. And there's also just more information coming out about various lawsuits that have been uh, leveraged against Monica. Again, really sort of calling into question her relationship, let's just say, to integrity, honesty, and conducting herself in a, a manner of, 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 of integrity, let's say. So, I'll just kind of leave that there for now. And if you want to know more, of course, go and Google, go on Instagram, uh, scroll around. It's all it's all there for your perusal. So that's my basic quick explanation. Now, you guys, having said all that, I want to make this one caveat before I turn it over to the episode. Hopefully this goes without saying, but I just want to be 100% clear. This was literally recorded after the third episode of the season. So at this point, they're just in Palm Springs. Lisa's lost her ring. Monica has confronted Lisa for being, quote unquote, out of touch and materialistic. That's all that's happened at this point. So none of the rest of the season has played out. So I'm saying this because I know, obviously, the storylines have developed and they've developed in a really provocative way. And I know that um, this season has brought up like a lot of really sensitive material for a lot of people. So I just want to be really clear This was recorded before we got into the particulars of Monica's relationship with her mother. So I'm not touching that in this episode. Now, I want you guys to know, I am planning on doing a very proper deep dive into this season as a whole. Um, I'm planning on doing that next month. It looks like I've got my old trusted friend and colleague Piper Sample on board to come dissect it all with me. So know that that's coming. Know that I am going to deal with Monica's relationship with her mother. And please understand that even though I did and do have a lot of mistrust of Monica as an adult and her adult actions, none of that is to take away from what we have seen on screen of a very toxic and problematic relationship with her mother. Know that I'm not denying that. I'm not negating that. I'm not minimizing that, nor do I disbelieve Monica about a lot of what she's saying regarding that relationship. I I actually have a lot of nuanced thoughts about that relationship, but I just want people to know I'm not ignoring it, I'm not neglecting it, and I'm not minimizing it. Similarly, I know that um, obviously this initial conflict with Lisa deepens in very real ways over the course of the season. And so 
Again, I'm not going to be speaking to that in this episode. This episode, I am just dealing with the loss of that ring at this point in time. I understand this conflict deepens. I understand that both Monica and Lisa end up getting very triggered. I understand that both Lisa and Monica bring a lot of heat to this conflict. And yes, this is something that I absolutely plan on exploring in a more proper deep dive um, in the coming month or so. So I just, I, I wanted to say, I'm not ignoring it. I'm not brushing that aside. We are going to get to it. Again, this is a time capsule of where I was at based on the information that we were getting from the first three episodes. So having said that, sit back, relax, enjoy this bonus episode. And I'll also just throw it out there. If you have anything specifically you're going to want to ask about as far as the upcoming deep dive into the season as a whole, always feel free to message me or DM me. I love hearing from you guys and I love hearing what you want to hear about. All right, you guys, that's it for now. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to what is a spontaneous impromptu episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I was not originally intending to record an episode this week, but felt inspired to do so because, as we all know, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is coming out of the gate strong this season. We have a very auspicious start to the season. People are definitely abuzz uh, concerning the drama so far. And what's more, I find myself, so I find myself enjoying the season very much so far, but I also find myself in really sharp disagreement with how a lot of the audience is uh, taking in and interpreting the events so far this season. And as is typically the case with me, when I find myself in sharp disagreement with the majority of the audience, this sort of urgent contrary voice in me that says, I got something to say comes through. And I find myself wanting to kind of have a space to really just sort of talk through my thoughts, impressions, and intuitions. So I thought, why not just hop on and uh, crank out an episode where I can do just that? So this will be a little bit of a lighter episode. It'll be a little bit of a chattier episode. And having said that, you know, I might just do a few quick drop-ins along the way. I might do a few quick deep dive digressions along the way and see where this wants to take us. So having said all that, let's jump into it. So my chief point of attention is really on Monica, the newest cast member. And it's been really surprising to me to see how people have been reacting to Monica. Um, I guess let me just preface this by saying I am by no means saying Monica doesn't have a place on the show. I'm not saying she's not good for the show. And point of fact, so far, I think she's great for the show. She's definitely charismatic. She's got on-camera presence. She's outspoken. She's living out loud. Uh, So I think she's great for the show. I love what she's stirring up in terms of the ensemble dynamic so far. 
But I have to say, I, I am a little confused and mystified by a lot of the response I'm seeing towards her. Uh, I keep seeing things like people saying, oh, Monica is so raw and real. I, I mean, I literally saw an Instagram post recently that that said, Monica is, you know, she is everything. She is the moment. She is an icon. And truly, like truly, I'm finding myself baffled by this, particularly because what I'm also seeing is people casting Angie K as a villain so far this season and basically saying she's, you know, trying too hard, she's thirsty, she's too hungry for her spot on the show. But meanwhile, Monica is raw, real, the moment, everything in an icon. And again, to me, this is just baffling because I actually see Angie K and Monica as very occupying very similar positions on the cast at this point, which is two women who are looking for their moment and sort of vying for their full-time foothold on the show. But I'm going to get into that more in a moment. So yeah, I want to talk first and foremost about Monica and just, just kind of how I see her showing up so far and particularly how I see her showing up on these episodes in Palm Springs. So look, this is sort of what I'm aware of. Monica came to this show through Angie K. Now, of, of course, you know, there's always that little bit of like fiction, right? Obviously, Monica was cast on the show by producers, but her primary connection to these group of women was through Angie K. And I actually did do a little bit of research. This is not just something that was completely made up for the show. Monica and Angie K. What I was told is though they were not um, like close, close friends, uh, they were very, very friendly, and they did have an established relationship through Jen. They did know each other. Like this was not just something, again, that was just invented by by producers for the sake of getting Monica on the show. She and Angie K did have an established relationship where they were very friendly with each other. Right. So Angie K is Monica's through line or entrance to the show. Right. And meanwhile, Angie Kay has some sort of beef with Meredith that I still don't fully understand, but it's a beef between Angie Kay and Meredith. And we all saw this. Meredith, as far as this season goes, again, I don't really know what's leading up to this. Meredith said something about Monica making a public statement that she would never be friends with Meredith. Uh, I believe to this day, Meredith has never produced any evidence of this comment. Meredith does seem to have a tendency at times to make things up to suit her narrative. Um, the only thing I really remember from last season is that Meredith was pissed at both Angie Kay and was her name Dana? Dana or Dana? for basically informing Lisa Barlow of what the other women were saying about Lisa behind her back. So I don't know if that's where this is stemming from. Again, we don't have a lot of clarity. But what I do know is Meredith <laughs> has a beef with Angie Kay coming into the season. Oh, it's interesting. Actually, as I'm saying this, I'm actually kind of, I'm getting a working theory of what's going on with Meredith. It's almost like if I had to guess about what's going on with Meredith towards Angie Kay, it's it's that on some level, she is still nursing a grudge over something petty. Maybe it is the fact that Angie K did run and tell Lisa Barlow everything Meredith had been saying about her behind her back. Maybe it's something else that's happened since then. But as we all know, Meredith is someone who can hold a very petty minor grudge for a long time. 
And as we explored um, in a previous episode, the thing that's so interesting about Meredith is on the one hand, she's got this kind of what I would call like emotionally immature childlike need to hold on to these petty grudges. But then there's another part of her that's sort of self-aware enough to know that she shouldn't be holding on to these grudges that she shouldn't be so irrationally angry about these things. Again, I go back to that. Like it's exactly what happened last season when she sat down in front of Angie K and Dana or Dana, and she was pissed about the fact that they went and gave Lisa Barlow this information, but she kept saying, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Um, but really, I'm mad. And again, it's that notion that she she sort of knows she shouldn't be mad, but she is mad. And so it's almost like the sense I get right now is that there's some petty minor grudge that Meredith is still holding against Angie K, but some part of her knows she shouldn't be holding on to the grudge. So rather than just letting herself be mad over whatever the hell it is she's mad about, she's now creating some fake reason to be mad at her aka you publicly stated you would never be friends with me because if you watch the scene basically angie k is calling her out for passive aggressively not inviting her on the trip she's calling out meredith's emotionally immature childlike grudge and meredith's response to that is why would i invite someone to the trip who publicly claims she would never be friends with me and again to this day she's never proven she's never offered any proof that angie k ever actually said this so it's almost like what's coming to me in this moment is meredith was grabbing for some quote-unquote legitimate reason that would justify her not inviting angie k on the trip which then means that meredith isn't actually being passive aggressive, isn't necessarily holding a petty, immature grudge, and then she can kind of continue to claim to be above it all. Oh my God. I mean, if I'm correct about this, do you see how tiring and exhausting it is to like build a labyrinth around the truth of your feelings? Oh my God. If Meredith would just surrender to the truth of her rage and give herself permission to own it, and express it and work with it in a healthy environment. I'm not saying, you know, go run around screaming at people, which essentially is kind of what she's doing now, but to find a therapeutic healing space where she can deal with her anger and her rage in a real way. Oh my God, Meredith would have so much more energy for constructive things in her life because I'm exhausted just talking through the labyrinth that has possibly gotten created around all of this. And so Meredith pulls a passive-aggressive punch, right? She organizes a cast trip and purposefully excludes Angie K. Now, I think all of us are seasoned enough to know this really is like a fuck you from Meredith to Angie. She's intentionally excluding Angie from a cast trip when everyone knows that Angie is an established cast member of the show this season. So Meredith kind of fires the first shot this season, right? So Angie Kay retaliates with her own passive aggressive move of showing up on the trip uninvited regardless, right? So basically there's a -a tete-a-tete between Meredith and Angie Kay and they're both kind of delivering their blows and it's sort of an escalating tension between them. Now, here's the thing. This fight, this situation has 
nothing to do with Monica. It has zero to do with Monica. Monica does not have a dog in this fight. She was not there for its origins. She had nothing to do with the dynamic between Meredith and Angie Kay. It literally has nothing to do with her, right? So she's here on this trip. She's originally friends with Angie Kay, you know, for however many years. There's a beef that has nothing to do with her. That, by the way, she actually, I mean, to my understanding, she doesn't even know anything about. Right. So Meredith and Angie are having their back and forth. Like I said, Meredith has not purposely not invited Angie to the trip. Angie has purposely showed up to the trip. They're all sitting around talking about their plans. Meredith makes a comment basically where she's pairing the different women off for their uh, their shopping, their their trust building shopping trust exercise and basically you know turns to angie and says well angie you know i i didn't know you were going to be here so basically you're gonna have to fend for yourself which again i mean it's all part of the building escalating tension between them it's a little bit of a passive aggressive fuck you from meredith to angie to which angie replies with her own kind of passive aggressive fuck you Oh, okay. Thank you, Meredith. You're acknowledging that you didn't invite me on the trip. Okay, so whatever. So they're they're in the midst of their back and forth, right? Monica then chooses in that moment, and actually, I'm going to get this up just because I want... The truth matters to me, and I like to stick to the facts, so I'm going to tell you verbatim what Monica says. So yeah, so Monica suddenly interjects. And I, I, I mean, I want to point out, no one else is interjecting here. Lisa Barlow's not interjecting. Whitney's not interjecting. Mary's not interjecting. People who actually have established history with this group, no one is seeing fit to interject. They're letting... Uh, Angie and Meredith sort of work this out amongst themselves. And Monica, the newbie in the group, who, again, is here, I mean, not on this trip, but is here in this group as Angie Kay's friend, takes it upon herself to interject and not interject in a peacemaking way. She interjects with a clear opinion that is siding with Meredith, where she says, ew, I mean, literally says, ew, to what Angie Kay is saying and then, you know, issues this judgment of right out of the gate, someone's being sassy to the hostess. So, I mean, that right there, I just want to say, like, to me, this is not raw and real, right? Monica is inserting herself in a situation that has nothing to do with her. Now, Monica is later going to try to position it that she's being raw and real where she says something to the effect of, look, I don't care if you're my friend or not. Like, if you're acting out of pocket, I'm going to let you know, right? Which sounds good. I mean, again, it sounds like, oh, look, I keep it real regardless of, you know, whether, you know, I have history with you or whether I don't have history with you. But the problem with this is that let's just say that's true. Like, let's just say that Monica really has this quest for fairness and righteous justice. And let's just say maybe she's picking up on something in Angie K that she doesn't feel is fully fair in the situation. If you really are kind of raw and real, right, and also loyal, like, there's so many choices that are available to you in this moment. I mean, why could you not pull Angie K? First of all, find out more information. You know what I mean? If this really is something that you're invested in, before I'm just going to automatically take Meredith aside, let me go to my established friend of however many years and really find out from you, hey, look, like I'm sensing tension. Like what's going on? I'm interested in hearing your side of the situation. I'm interested in getting more information before I rush to judgment, right? 
Or let's just say you have all the information and you still think like your friend might be in the wrong, like pulling your friend aside and very gently saying, hey, look, like I'm concerned for you. I'm seeing you sort of behave in a certain way. It feels like you're getting really triggered and activated. I'm concerned on your behalf. Can we talk through this to like get you to a place of more calmness so that you can sort of behave with more integrity and like the person that I know you are, you know, or if you genuinely want to like work things out between these people, can you st- if you're going to step into a situation that has nothing to do with you, can you step in a way step in in a way that's actually going to promote like peacemaking that's going to promote reconciliation between these two of like, Hey guys, let's sit down. I know both of you. I like both of you. I think you're both good people. I know there's a way we can work this out. If you guys are just like willing to listen to each other. I mean, these are some of the options of what Monica could do if she were actually concerned with being a fair friend who is like doing the right thing on behalf of both people. But it's like she didn't do that, right? She literally stepped into a situation that she knew nothing about, had nothing to do with her, and immediately shut down her established friend with very clear judgment um, in a way that to me really felt like she was essentially kissing Meredith's ass. You know, and then... Monica does a very similar thing at the dinner that they have later, where, once again, Meredith and Angie Kay are going at it. You know, and there's a fight that's escalating between them. And, you know, it's like they're they're getting their digs in at each other, right? And Meredith is saying things to Angie Kay, you know, basically dismissing her. You can go. You can leave. Angie Kay points out that Meredith had no problem, I guess, coming to her for some sort of business advice at some point. Meredith comes back with a sarcastic comment about, okay, I'll write you a check for your time. And so, again, things are escalating. And then at that point, uh, Angie Kay says something to the effect of, like, oh, you're going to write me a check for your dusty jewelry that you haven't sold since 2015 or whatever. And so again, at that point, you know, Monica suddenly acts all offended on Meredith's behalf and literally interjects and turns to Angie K and says, stop, like the way that you're acting is disgusting. So again, it's not like Monica is intervening in the interest of promoting peace between the two or shutting it down between the two of them. She's not saying to both Angie Kay and Meredith, guys, stop. You're both taking this too far. Or guys, stop. You're both going to regret this in the morning. She is singling Angie Kay out and literally telling her to stop and literally telling her that she's acting in a quote unquote disgusting way, again, in a fight that has nothing to do with her. And that's what this felt like to me. It just sort of felt like to me, Monica is here to sort of get in good with Meredith. It felt very strategic to me. And actually, I am curious if I just do a quick drop in from Monica to Angie Kay right now. I am kind of curious to see what I would see. So I am Gonna just quickly drop in from Monica towards Angie K. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, it really does feel really clear. It's like you're worth, I mean, it's, it sounds mean, it feels mean to say, but it's like you're worthless to me. Uh, meaning, like, you're worthless to me in context of the show. Like, it really feels like that. It just, it really feels like you are a stepping stone. You're my entry in, and now I've got a lily pad off you into getting in good with the more established cast. It really does feel like that. It really feels like I, I used you for what I needed you for, which is to get into this position where I'm on the show. And now that I've used you to that end, I am sort of ready to be done with you. Like, there are bigger fish to fry. There are people who can be of more help to me. And what's really sort of coming through 
as Monica towards Angie K. You know, Angie K is interesting to me because I do think that she has her own relationship to strategy. I think she's got her own relationship to, you know, wanting to establish her place on the show. But her energy and her vibe is definitely different than Monica. Like, I think Angie K is someone who's more or less very invested in being nice, being the good girl. I think that she's very concerned with how things look. Um, So like last season, for example, even when she got mad at Jen, it was very much from this righteous place of like, I've been nothing but a good friend to you. You know, I, I think there's something about her that's sort of like a little bit more like the good girl. And I think as Monica... I'm sort of interpreting this as a weakness. Like when I take Angie K in as Monica, I sort of see her as almost like a sad sap, you know, a little bit like I like the like weak, weak willed, a door a doormat. Like I just experience her as passive. And again, it, it just brings up this feeling in me as Monica is like, you're no good to me. It's like you're just kind of like a weak willed doormat who people are gonna trample on. And in this place, I don't really have sort of faith or confidence in your sort of like longevity in this group or on this show. So it's just like, yeah, like, again, I've got what I need from you. I'm moving on, throwing you under the bus. I got bigger fish to fry. So it really feels like strategy to me for Monica, which, again, is fine. Like, I'm fine with the energy that Monica is bringing to the show. I'm just not seeing her as raw and real. I'm seeing her as every bit of a strategist as Angie K. I just think she does it differently. And so it's really surprising to me uh, that people, it's almost like because Angie K appears so desperate and because Angie K also is sort of hovering in this weird middle ground where on the one hand, she is kind of being like passive aggressively assertive, but at the same time, won't just sort of come out and like, I don't know, be really defiant or really strong in her energy or just be an unapologetic bitch. I think that people, yeah, they're having kind of like a a lukewarm response to her because she is kind of sort of tepid and, and wimpy and also sort of squirrelier in her energy. But it's almost like because of that, because there's something, quote unquote, perhaps unlikable in the way that Angie K is showing up, it almost feels like because Monica is like speaking out against her and speaking out against her with a really strong voice, people are like interpreting that as raw and real. When in reality, it's just as sort of sneaky and strategic as Angie K. It's just a bolder, more defiant voice. And it's maybe calling out something that is, in fact, a bit annoying in Angie K. But again, I don't think it makes it any less strategic. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me so much of when Margaret Josephs came on the scene in Real Housewives of New Jersey. And I will never forget her introduction to the show. And you know, anyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm I'm definitely someone who's never trusted Margaret. I've never trusted her from the beginning for this exact reason. If you remember, like, her entry to the show and the way that she really kind of, like, got a foothold in the cast, it had a lot to do with Siggy. Because much like with Monica and Angie K, Siggy was the kind of entrance for Margaret into the friend group. And then they went on this trip to Florida. And then kind of like, you know, in the same way that Angie K is acting in a, you know, you could say an unlikable way, Siggy had that freak out where she bought a cake, I think for Melissa's birthday, and they ended up getting into a food fight over the cake. And Siggy had an incredibly over-the-top, unhinged, 
reaction. And make no mistake, Siggy completely blew it out of proportion. Siggy was clearly in some sort of historical feelings that had nothing to do with the present day situation. Again, she was behaving in an unlikable way, right? And so then what happens is there's this whole fight that breaks out between, I think, like Melissa, Teresa, and Siggy. And Margaret's there as Siggy's friend. And again, it's like you have choices in this situation, right? First of all, you can completely abstain from the situation, right? Again, this is a situation it has nothing to do with Margaret. It's not Margaret's cake. It's not Margaret's friendships. There's an established history between Siggy Melissa and Teresa that has nothing to do with Margaret. Margaret could have just sat on the sidelines minding her own business and like no one would have batted an eyelash, right? But Margaret chooses to insert herself. Now, okay, that's fine. Margaret has a choice of how she inserts herself. And I just remember like taking in the fact that Margaret in no way tried to like pacify the situation she didn't try to be a peacemaker between the two parties she didn't come in and say hey guys look look like melissa and Teresa, you seem great siggy i know you're great because you're my friend let's work this out again she didn't pull siggy to the side and try to calm her down she didn't do anything that would constructively help the situation what she did was she saw her friend who brought her into this friend group having a hysterical reaction. She saw her friend crying. She saw her friend distraught. And what she decided to do was to actively side with Teresa and Melissa and actively make fun of Siggy. She called her soggy flicker. She made fun of her tears. And again, it was a situation where, like, I think because Siggy was acting so over the top, people sided with Margaret and thought it was amazing that she was calling Siggy out. And yet for me, I was sort of sitting there thinking to myself, like you two have an established friendship. And again, you're not intervening in a way that's to promote peace. You're literally making fun of your friend's tears. And that for me early on was the moment where I just realized Margaret's going to do anything for the sake of the show. She's going to throw anyone under the bus for the sake of the show. This is a woman who cares about her spot on the show and she will do anything to maintain it and to position herself um, in a way that's to her best advantage in terms of longevity on the show. And I just, I see the exact same thing happening with Monica right now. So this is just me, you guys saying, mark my words for anyone who thinks Monica is Ron real, I really believe from what we've seen, she's not to be trusted. The other thing that I want to say about Monica too right now is that it's really not lost on me that she has now mentioned twice in like two or three different episodes the fact that she has slept with her brother-in-law for 18 months. Now, when she first brought it up, it felt more organic because I believe she was talking to Heather about why she may have been excommunicated from the church. And, you know, I mean, look, I, again, this is sort of where I see why Monica is good for the show. She's owning it. She's bringing it out, right? She's not waiting for other people to dig up her dirty laundry. She's saying, this is who I am. This is what I did. And, of course, it's a salacious piece of information. So the the TV viewer in me wants to know more. So that's all well and good. But it's like when we're having a cast dinner and it's one episode later and she brings this out in some sort of like, you know, sort of fairly innocuous dinner game. I'm just sort of sitting there thinking this feels, 
this just feels attention getting to me. Like if a friend of mine, I was talking about this with a friend of mine and they called it, what are they, they called it a part. It's like a party trick. And I felt like that was so dead on. Like this is like a party trick that you're trotting out to kind of like cause a, cause a wave, cause a reaction. She's looking for her moment, you know? So again, I mean, other people are calling this raw and real. I'm just kind of sitting here like, okay, is this raw and real? Or is this someone who's like, looking to make a splash. And again, you know, I want to say it's one thing to bring this piece of information out as like a personal disclosure. You know what I mean? Like if you're genuinely getting to know someone and you really kind of want to share with them in an intimate or perhaps even vulnerable way, that's one thing. And to say, look, there's this, there's this, you know, there's this piece of my history that I want to tell you about. And, you know, I mean, I think if it were kind of like a more sincere gesture of bonding, you know, it might look or sound something like, yeah, like I made these mistakes. I'm not proud of what I did. This is what led up to it. Like an actual vulnerable sharing. But what I noticed about Monica is like both times that she's brought it up, it's like she's practically bringing it up with a smile on her face. Um, You know, and this isn't to judge her for what she's done. I don't really know the situation that led up to it, but it's just taking in the energy with which she has brought this to the forefront on multiple occasions in a very short amount of time on an international TV show. Again, I just get the sense that this is a woman who's looking to make a splash and she'll make a splash however she needs to make a splash. And so, okay, so that brings me to kind of like the second part of my raised eyebrow towards um, Monica. And that was her reaction to Lisa Barlow losing her <laughs> her $60,000 engagement ring. Look, I got a lot to say about this because again, this is sort of another point of departure between the rest of the audience and me. I got to say, like, call me crazy. <laughs> call me crazy. And I'm, I'm willing to hear different perspectives if you want to DM me or something. I personally did not have much of a problem with how Lisa responded to losing her ring. First of all, I got to say, I, <laughs> I got to just say, Heather... Oh my God. Heather recording herself in that bathroom stall, gleefully reporting that Lisa is quote unquote acting unhinged over the loss of her ring just as an intuitive quick hit. Uh, and maybe this is stating the obvious. It just felt so clear to me that Heather was uh, loving having the opportunity to call Lisa Barlow unhinged. Like it just, it felt to me like, you know, Heather knows she had a really bad fan reaction last year. She was called unhinged over and over and over for her behavior. And I mean, especially with the way that she whipped out her personal cell phone to record footage from the bathroom stall where she gets to say Lisa Barlow is acting unhinged. It just felt so, like I said, gleeful and like she was just chomping at the bit to have a moment or an opportunity to point the finger at someone else, Lisa Barlow, no less, and call her unhinged. It, it reminds me of kind of like how she wanted to set Leah McSweeney up to like fall off the wagon on the ultimate girls trip. There's something it's like Heather loves setting other people up for the fall. It feels like this cruelty in her that just says, well, if I have to take the fall, <laughs> I want other people to take the fall too. And meanwhile, you know, the what we could hear of Lisa in the bathroom, to me, it actually didn't sound that unhinged at all. It sounded like a woman who just lost her $60,000 engagement ring and she was looking for it. So it was interesting to feel Heather's glee at being able to call Lisa unhinged, but then also like hearing evidence to the contrary at the same time. Okay. 
that aside, like I said, I watched these episodes a day late because I watched them on Peacock. And so I'd seen like a lot of murmurings again in the zeitgeist about, you know, the way that Lisa was reacting to losing her ring. So I honestly, I was expecting something much, much worse. And like I said, I didn't really have a problem with uh, Lisa's reaction. You know, I think... Look, I think if you lose your engagement ring, that's a really huge deal. (laughs) That is not just losing a piece of jewelry. That is losing a piece of jewelry that has deep sentimental value. And I I guess call me crazy. I guess call me materialistic. But yeah, if you own a $60,000 ring, your engagement ring, no less, and you lose that... I would imagine that would be very upsetting. (laughs) I mean, just for point of reference, I actually, I don't have an engagement ring, but I do have a piece of jewelry that's very meaningful to me, which is um, I saved one of the teeth of my beloved dog, Bobby, who passed away a few years ago. And um, I got the tooth made into a really nice piece of jewelry where I got it encased in gold and it's got some diamonds on it. And I wear it quite often as a way to stay connected to my dog. And I bring this up because actually during my travels over this past year, there was a moment where I was trying to put the necklace on and it almost dropped down the drain of the bathroom sink. Uh, fortunately, it did not. But like in that like that flash of a moment where I thought it was going to drop down the drain, I was devastated. And by the way, this necklace does not cost anywhere near $60,000. It was like a little bit less than $1,000. But you know, the reason why I say all this, it's like if that necklace had dropped down the drain you bet your bottom dollar. Like I would have been on the phone with my friends saying, I cannot believe this. I just lost this necklace. That means so much to me. It was Bobby's tooth. And I'd also probably saying, you know, that's like a thousand dollars down the drain. I don't know. Again, call me crazy. Like when something has sentimental value and when something has deep financial value, it sucks when you lose it. And I thought Lisa was just being really transparent about the fact that she was upset that she lost a ring of both deep sentimental value and also deep monetary value. And I don't really see the problem with that. I I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I actually thought she was pretty calm about it. And I couldn't, I, you know, part of me couldn't help but wonder if this is one of those things, too, where it's like because it's on TV, it reads differently. And that was kind of the one thing I was thinking, like, OK, maybe I kind of understand the optics of this where Lisa, you know, she's not just like on a on a private trip with her close girlfriends, right? She is on TV. And so, yes, I understand the notion of like most people, myself included, cannot afford a $60,000 ring. And so maybe there's something about the optics of how it looks to, you know, to be repeatedly mentioning the price of the ring, especially in a world where we tend not to talk about the prices of things. But, you know, I want to say a couple things to that. First of all, it feels a little bit unfair to me because I feel like the whole point of these shows, The Real Housewives, is that it's supposed to feature like quote unquote aspirational women who are leading glamorous, fabulous lives that are in large part defined by wealth. And I feel like we hear that over and over in the viewing audience. I mean, we complain when someone's not actually rich on the show and we celebrate when someone's actually rich on the show. I mean, remember when Beverly Hills aired and everyone's like, oh, they're actually really wealthy. Like we say we want the lifestyle. We say we want the wealth. We say we want the money. We say we want the escapism. Well, okay. So here we have a woman who seems to be genuinely wealthy and can afford a $60,000 ring and she loses the ring and she's upset about it. And I don't know. It just feels a little bit like an unfair setup where it's like, well, what do we want here? You know, do we want to watch a show about wealthy women who are leading a different type of life than most people can afford or do we not? 
You know, and is it fair to demand that of our housewives, but then be critical of them when they are very much living and embodying that lifestyle at the same time. You know, I've seen a lot of people compare Lisa talking about the $60,000 ring to uh, like Dana Wilkie on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills when, you know, she came in with the pair of sunglasses and had that notorious moment. Um, you know, I think Camila complimented the sunglasses and Dana was like, oh, do you like them? $25,000. You know, people have been comparing those two moments. And, and to me, it feels completely different. I I mean, it feels completely different. Look, if if Lisa hadn't lost the ring and someone had just complimented the ring and said, oh, Lisa, that's a beautiful ring. And Lisa held up the ring and said, oh, isn't it great? $60,000. That to me is very, very different. Like that to me would be boastful. That to me would be pretentious. It's a much different situation to have lost the ring and to be upset about the lost value, both sentimental and financial value. And I will say this, if Dana, if Dana had come to Beverly Hill, that Beverly Hills pool party, right, not said anything about the sunglasses, but then lost the sunglasses and said, oh my God, I lost these sunglasses. My husband gave them to me as a present. They're $25,000. I can't believe I just lost a $25,000 pair of sunglasses. I wouldn't have had an issue with that. Like, again, I get it. I get the idea of being upset about losing something of great sentimental and monetary value. Now, I will say this, and this will be a little bit of a deep dive digression, but bear with me. I also wonder if there is really something here about what I would call comfort with financial or monetary transparency, you know, because like I said before, there does tend to really be kind of a stigma and a secrecy around money. You know, we tend not to talk about what things cost or how much we earn. And in fact, it it is usually thought of as tacky in a lot. Like we don't talk about these things, but the truth is I actually, I actually wonder about that a lot. I actually really wonder about how healthy it is that there is so much secrecy and I think shame around money and discussing financial matters. It's really interesting because there's this this series of books I'm sure some of you are familiar with, but um, maybe some of you aren't called Conversations with God, where the author of the books, I believe his name is Neil Donald Walsh. He's a guy who, he was having a bit of an existential crisis. And I I forget the exact story, but one day he sits down and I think he kind of like maybe asks a question of, you know, what he calls God, like source energy, spirit. And God started speaking back to him. Like he started channeling messages from what he called God. And that led to the first book, Conversations with God. And it, like I said, it's it's since led to a whole series of books. It's really fascinating material. Like whether you believe that he's channeling God or not, uh, the information that came through is really interesting and provocative. But um, the reason why I'm saying this is, you know, one of the things he talked about in Conversations with God that always stuck with me, he was conversing with God specifically about money and disparity of wealth and the financial state of affairs in the world. And one of the things that God said to him basically was like, you know, the thing that would really sort of revolutionize and change the world from a financial monetary perspective is transparency. And God kind of outlined, you know, what you might call like a healthy model or utopia as one where everyone's financials are kind of like 
transparent to everyone else. Like, the, like there's no secrecy in numbers. Everyone knows how much everyone else has, how much everyone else is making. And one of the points that God made in this book was basically if people knew like that, basically the current inequity of wealth and the current like uneven distribution of wealth is in so much held in place by the lack of transparency and the lack of, of just readily available information about the actual numbers. And God was saying, if people really knew, if people really knew about the actual disparity of wealth and like what the 1% was making and like what the 1% had versus what the rest of the world had, God was basically saying there would be riots in the streets. Like it, like people would demand a revolution. They would demand a reform. They would demand, you know, some sort of like overhaul of the system so that there could be a more fair distribution of wealth. And like I said, God was just sort of saying it's the secrecy and a silence that holds all of this in place. The other thing too, that is sort of tangentially connected to all this. I think a lot about Bethany's reality reckoning, you know, I, I mean, I want to be clear. I know that Bethany is a problematic spokesperson and I know that her motives might not be pure. And I know Again, she's a problematic spokesperson, but I got to say, I I have said this before. I'll say it again. I do agree with the underlying message of what she's talking about. And I, I agree very specifically with the notion that these shows make a tremendous amount of money for the people producing the shows. And it's and a, a does in large part, I think, a lot of times come at the expense of the mental well-being of the people who essentially are the lifeblood of the shows, which it's talent. You know, it's it's the it's the on-screen talent. It's the cast members who make these shows successful. And you know, what's been so interesting to me throughout all this is like I keep thinking about conversations with God and that idea of financial transparency. And whenever I kind of hear about Bethany's reality reckoning, where I go with this, where I go with this is I keep thinking I want to see the numbers. Like I want to know how much does NBC Universal actually make off the Real Housewives. Like literally I want to know the specific dollar amount of what they make. I want to know how much Andy Cohen makes off these shows. I want to know how much the showrunners make off these shows. Like show us the numbers. I just think it would be so fascinating to look at the pie as a whole and see what everyone's making. And by the way, I'm not just talking about this in terms of the cast. I'm also talking about this in terms of the crew because kind of like God was saying for the world, I just have this feeling like if people knew the amount of money that the people at the top were making off these shows and like the behavior that they covertly encourage in order to keep making off these shows at the expense of a lot of these people who, you know, maybe are kind of impressionable, maybe don't know any better, maybe are not in the most mentally well-placed. I mean, again, I just have this feeling like if people could see the numbers, people might be taking what Bethany is saying a little bit more seriously. I've, I've thought about that a lot because I am someone, you know, I don't know this about Lisa, but I'm just sort of gathering this from what I saw on the show. Like, I am someone like her who I kind of like talking about the numbers because again to me it's sort of like what's that 12 step expression it's um we're only as sick as our secrets there's something about the silence around money that i think really breeds secrecy i think it really breeds shame i think a lot of people struggle 
in silence and with a sense of being alone with their financial woes. And again, I'm just someone who's like, I, I wish more people were willing to talk about money, not from a boastful way, not from a bragging way of look how much I have, but people who were willing to talk about money from a place of transparency, from a place of honesty. So again, maybe this is just a personal thing where I personally am comfortable with someone talking about a price tag and not feeling like it's inherently tacky or boastful. But I do. I believe in financial transparency. I believe in talking about the money. I believe in dissipating the shame, the silence, the secrecy. Now, having said all that, let's bring this back to Monica. I really want to highlight a few things here. So first of all, I can't help but feel like there's kind of a double standard here where we've seen Monica on the show literally crying about buying a Louis Vuitton bag so that she feels she can fit in with the other woman. Now, I want to say, I like, again, much like with Lisa and her $60,000 ring, I'm actually for this. Like, I think it's great that Monica was willing to talk about her wealth compared to the other woman's wealth and what it brings up in her and the pressure she feels to keep up. I mean, this to me is much healthier than someone like, say, a Jen Shaw, who won't talk about her financial shame, won't talk about her financial competition, and instead is stealing from the elderly to keep up with the Joneses. So I'm completely fine with Monica having these sort of honest, vulnerable moments. But it's just interesting to me that here's the thing, even though she's sort of owning her vulnerability in that moment, I can't help but be aware she is still playing into the very same culture that she seems to be criticizing Lisa for, right? Like she is essentially saying, I am putting value and worth, and in particular, my sense of self-value and self-worth into a Louis Vuitton bag, right? And not only that, she either has the money to pay for it or she has the available credit to pay for it, which again, if we're going to go by Monica's language and Monica's standards, I would say that is actually a form of privilege. You know, I'm not saying Monica can go out and buy a $60,000 ring, but there are many, 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 many people in this world who cannot walk into a store and buy a Louis Vuitton bag if they want to buy a Louis Vuitton bag. And then on top of that, it's so interesting because Monica kind of has this seeming awareness of, I made this impulse buy to play into a kind of unhealthy culture of status, right? Where our worth is defined by our designer brands, right? So she has that awareness. She's crying to her mom about it, but then it doesn't stop her from showing up at the airport with the Louis Vuitton bag. And someone makes a comment about Xanax, right? And then Monica makes a point to repeatedly say, I got my Xannies in my Louis. I got my Xannies in my Louis. So it's like, even though she's acknowledged that she's participating in something that's perhaps unhealthy and destructive, she's still choosing to participate in it. And she's still vying for a sense of like respect and position in the group by flagrantly referring to her Louis, which in a way, it, it, I mean, she's literally doing the thing that she's accusing Lisa of doing of, which by the way, I don't think Lisa was even doing. I, I genuinely don't believe Lisa was dropping the price tag of her ring to brag. And yet I do believe Monica was mentioning her Louis Vuitton bag as a way to assert something within the group. So 
it's just interesting to me that apparently in Monica's mind, she's allowed to invest worth and value in a designer bag. She's allowed to call attention to her designer bag. But if Lisa Barlow loses a $60,000 ring and mentions the price tag, suddenly Lisa's coming from a place of privilege. And to me, like I said, I just, to me, the math isn't mathing, as the kids say. I just feel like if Monica is going to give herself space and grace to be caught up in designer things and what things cost and the worth of value of that, well, why is it then that Lisa Barlow can't potentially do the same thing? Again, I don't actually think Lisa was doing the same thing, but according to Monica, that's what Lisa was doing. So again, why is it okay for Monica to do it, but it's not okay for Lisa to do it? And this kind of brings me back to the first episode, which I've not forgotten about, and I really need to highlight this moment, which was when... Lisa and Angie Kay and Monica were all out to a meal and Lisa is mentioning that she doesn't cook. And there was just that moment where Monica asks Lisa Barlow, she's like, oh, does John cook? And Lisa says, yeah, he's a great cook and you know he makes me food. And I think Monica even used the word privilege again there. And she's like, oh, well, that's a privilege. And the editors made a moment out of it. And I just want to make sure that that moment's not getting glossed over because it just, it felt so loaded and it just felt like such a setup on Monica's behalf like Monica you know she she was setting Lisa up to be judged as privileged for having a husband who cooks for her and you know I just remember taking that moment in and I I remember just kind of feeling like Monica it's it's not Lisa Barlow's fault that you're in the middle of a divorce it's not Lisa Barlow's fault that your marriage didn't work out and the fact that Lisa Barlow has you know a loving husband who cooks for her it, it's not she's not doing anything wrong it just felt to me like Monica has unhappiness in her life she has you know whatever heartbreak or resentment is connected to her divorce and rather than just owning that for herself it just felt in that moment like she was taking it out on Lisa and it's like as I'm saying this it's it's almost like in this moment what comes to me is that Monica is sort of putting Lisa in a certain position which is sort of like the fabulous woman who has it all and has the money and has the husband and it's almost like what comes to me it's like that Monica is looking at Lisa and she wants a lot of what Lisa has, or at least ha- what, you know, her perception of who Lisa is and what she has. And it's almost like Monica wants the privilege. Like, I don't know that Monica's actually pissed about inequity of privilege in the world. It's almost like it feels to me like Monica wants to be the privileged one. And if she were the privileged one, she wouldn't have a problem with it. And I feel like what's upsetting to her isn't the fact that there are people with privilege and then people without privilege. I feel like what's truly upsetting to her is that she wants to be the one with privilege. And I think she experiences Lisa as being the one with privilege. And because she wants that same privilege, she hates Lisa for it. And rather than just owning the place in her that wants to say, I want all that. I want the privilege. I want the wealth. I want the $60,000 ring. I want the status symbols. I want the loving husband. And I want to be able to kind of like, kind of like, be in the 1%. I'm not saying Lisa and John are actually in the 1%. I don't know what percentage they are. But rather than just sort of owning the voice in Monica that says, I want to be part of the 1%. I want to flaunt it. I want to be above other people. She's instead positioning this as, 
other people are privileged and it's not fair. Like she's, she's framing it as a conversation about wider privilege in the world when I don't really think Monica cares too much about wider privilege in the world. I think she cares more about the fact that she is not one of the lucky few who gets to be privileged. And I think that's part of what's triggering me about all this is like when I see people saying, oh, she's she's keeping it so raw and real. I'm just sort of sitting to myself thinking, I don't I don't think this is a woman who's keeping it raw and real. I think this is a woman who actually wants to be rolling in it at the expense of others and is pissed that she's not the one in that position. But I think because she's assuming a viewpoint that's relatable to more of us, because again, most of us can't afford $60,000 rings. Like I said, most of us can't afford Louis Vuitton bags. I think because she's speaking to that, it, it gives her the illusion or the pretense of being the voice of the little guy. But I just, again, like my sense is this, this isn't actually what's happening. I don't think Monica's, <laughs> I really don't think Monica is someone who cares about inequity of, about inequity of wealth in the world. I think she just cares more about the fact that she herself isn't wealthy and she wants to be and she's pissed about that. Okay. So the last thing that I will say in all of this is I want to touch on Whitney for a moment. Because, yeah, so I have a couple takes, and one of them's a hot take. So the hot take I want to say about Whitney is, and I I really feel the need to say this, I want to say she is not wrong in what she said about Meredith on that Spinner van. When she, she mentioned that Meredith always has some outside reason why she's so upset about things. And, and I'm just mentioning this because I was literally thinking the same thing before Whitney even said it. So I don't know if you guys remember, but I think it was like two reunions ago when people were calling Meredith out on the degree to which she holds a grudge and, you know, the way that she was acting sort of so unhinged all season, you know, her go-to thing. I think at that point it was about her nephew. And, And by the way, this is not to minimize like what her nephew went through. I know they brought him on the show last season and I know he had very real struggles and none of this is to minimize that. But I do remember her using her nephew's mental health issues as like kind of like almost um, I, I like I want to say like a trump card kind of like you can't say anything else against me because I was dealing with this really serious issue. And if you even start to go there, like kind of like what, you know, Meredith and Whitney are saying, it's like she, she, she weaponizes these issues as a reason why you can't sort of challenge her on a deeper level. And then she was doing the same thing, you know, this season, I don't know what's going on with a disabled baby, but Obviously, there's something to do with disabled children that she is sort of now bringing out as a shield where you can't really sort of confront her on anything because she's going to, again, use that as her trump card as to why you're like horribly inappropriate for even daring to like question or challenge her. So I want to say like Whitney's not wrong about that. But what's interesting to me is Whitney, you know, and this is to Mary's point, it's like Whitney chooses these really weird moments to interject. So kind of like I was saying about Monica and Margaret with Siggy Flicker, like interjecting in these moments that sort of have nothing to do with them, like in the middle of conflict where they're not really doing something that's going to bring peace to the situation. If anything, they're just going to make the situation a lot worse. It's like 
Whitney can see on that Sprinter van that Meredith is deeply upset. She's clearly still triggered by this argument. And it's like, that's the moment that Whitney chooses sort of to bring in, again, what I think is actually a very sort of perceptive piece of truth, which is that Meredith kind of hides behind these outside issues as a way to deflect from her participation in conflict. But it's like, this has definitely been a theme with Whitney. I mean, I just remember like first season... That was Jen's big issue with her, which was Whitney chose to bring some piece of inflammatory information to Jen in the middle of Sharif's birthday party, even though Jen made it clear like she didn't want any drama there. And then I'm just thinking about last season, too, the way she brought this information about Lisa and the rumors out in the middle of a barbecue, like where they were all drunk. It's like she has this habit of finding these moments that feel like the least productive moments to bring out her, like to deliver the information. (laughs) Let's go back. Or no, what what was it? I'm going back to Roni season three, deliver the Alex McCord delivered the message to Jill Zarin. It feels like Whitney likes to deliver messages, but she, it's almost like she either unconsciously, semi-consciously, or maybe even consciously chooses the most inopportune times to deliver the message. She delivers the message in times where it's going to escalate chaos and conflict rather than de-escalate chaos and conflict. And it's funny because like, if you go back and watch the episode, Meredith literally says, let's table this for right now. Like she says, let's table this for right now. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in honoring boundaries. You know, even if let's just say Meredith is being unconsciously manipulative, which I, again, I do believe there is deep truth in that. Like I said, I do believe Meredith weaponizes this stuff to kind of like quote unquote disengage from conflict. But the fact is if Meredith is saying, let's table this for now, that is a very clear request. And it's a clear request that Whitney (laughs) then just trampled all over and actively refused to, to table and instead to deliver her message about like Meredith conveniently wielding outside issues as a way to disengage from conflict and it's almost just like as Whitney yeah it just it just feels to me like there's this there's it it reminds me of Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction I won't be ignored Dan you know it reminds me a little bit of like what I explored in terms of Tamara in the last episode it feels like Whitney is someone who actually can be quite perceptive and can see things. I think there is kind of a truth teller in her. And I think that's something that she had obviously had to disown in her history a lot. And it's almost like now there's just this sort of like shitty, angry part of her that's kind of saying like, again, I won't be ignored. Like I won't be ignored. The truth won't be ignored. I'm tired of being shut down. So I'm going to deliver these messages (laughs) in these moments where it's just going to cause the most chaos like again it's like i want to be seen and heard. like i'm gonna make sure you see and hear me i'm not sweeping this under the rug like i'm gonna bring this out at the most volatile moment so everyone else has to fucking deal with it and i think it's difficult because what ends up happening is whitney it's like there again there's this truth teller in her but right now it's like so mixed in with this kind of um vengeful provocateur you know who again just wants to be seen and heard in the places where she wasn't seen and heard historically I just wanted to speak to this because even though I agree with Mary in the sense that Whitney does have this troublemaking way of poking at people, places, and things to get a reaction, I still feel like 
there's something here that's getting lost in the shuffle, which is Whitney does have a valid point about Meredith. And so, again, I want to bring in all sides because that's what makes these situations nuanced and complex. And I think ultimately interesting that there are always multiple threads happening at once. And just because it may be true that Whitney has a bit of a shit-stirring provocation in her it doesn't negate the parts of her that do see things clearly all right you guys i got that all off my chest uh thanks for bearing with me in in this uh chattier little bit bitchier episode than usual sometimes we just got to get it out of our system so um excited to see what's next definitely excited to see how things unfold with monica and uh we can see in the coming months, if this is a raw, real spokesperson for the people, or if my intuition is correct that there is a lot more to be revealed. Okay, you guys. Let's see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.